Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's Dress Rehearsal on KBFG Seattle, and I'm Lorenzo Marasso. My guest today is Italian pianist, forte pianist and harpsichordist Gian Maria Bonino, who graduated in piano performance at the Giuseppe Verdi Conservatory in Milano, Italy with Professor Lydia Curi and at the Luzerne Conservatory with Maestro Mieczysław Rzowski. Gian Maria Bonino graduated in harpsichord at the Conservatory of Genova in Italy with Professor Alda Bellasic. He has played as a soloist and information in international festivals such as the Music Festival in Ljubljana, the Festival of Mediterranean Sounds, the Florizon Musical, the Emilia-Romagna Festival and many others. Together with flutist Andrea Oliva, Gian Maria Bonino has recorded a CD with the complete sonatas for flute and harpsichord by George Frederick Handel and with flutist Luca Ripanti, the complete sonatas for flute and harpsichord by Johann Sebastian Bach and he has recently recorded a complete etudes by Frédéric Chopin. Gianmaria Bonino has also played and collaborated with the Virtuosen of the Berliner Philharmoniker and at the Luzer Festival in Switzerland with oboist Albrecht Mayer. Gianmaria Bonino, since more than two decades ago, has dedicated himself to the exploration of historical keyboard instruments and historically informed performance. Uh, Gian Maria Bonino also holds the professorship of historically informed performance for keyboard instruments at the Conservatory of Alessandria in Italy. So I'd like to welcome Gian Maria Bonino to dress rehearsal on KBFG Seattle. Thank you very much, Lorenzo. Nice to meet you again uh, after several years to share some experiences with uh, music and performing with uh, piano, etc. I'm starting piano very early. I was just five years old, and then I studied with very important professors. First of all, was my my favorite professor was Mieczysław Horshovsky, who was a very great pianist, who invited also me to the audition, and I was admitted for a few months to Curtis Institute in Philadelphia. It was late 1986. Then I came back to Italy for family problems, and I studied with uh, Ilonka Deckers, who was a pupil of the Liszt Academy in Budapest, and she was really a great teacher for me. And this brought me to a very powerful piano experience, which uh, was through uh, almost uh, a lot of repertoire. 
beginning with Bach, etc., also going to Mozart and also to Rachmaninoff, to Chopin, etc. And after some experience, very interesting experiences, also I made some uh, uh, big uh, programs with piano and uh, playing with orchestra. Then I decided, in my opinion, that studying the historic keyboards was, for me, a more important suggestion. As I did that, because I thought, well, I would like to play and perform music with the instruments for which the uh, music was written. And this is, for me, the first thing we have to, to analyze in performing, not only in performing with modern instruments, but to find a way to play and a philosophy to play and also all the details looking forward to a, almost as possible a very uh, important interpretation and to find how was the idea of performing in ancient uh, composers. I performed for many years uh, Hepsichord with many important uh, ancient music groups and with a very important uh, musicians like uh, Federico Guglielmo, like uh, Burley Philharmonic uh, Baroque members, and also with Christoph Cohen, cello, with whom I played many times also in very important festivals. The complete uh, Chopin works for ancient piano and uh, cello. Then I played like soloist with Burley Philharmonic, uh, as concertos, Bach concertos, Haydn concertos, and uh, Mozart concertos with Epsicode, like the Genome K271. And this was the first discovering for me that this concerto was so beautiful with Epsicode that brought me to thoughts about uh, how was the possibility to interchange instruments in ancient music. I mean that Mozart was... It was normal for him if he found a hexachord or a piano or something else to perform with the instrument he has under his fingers. And so the interpretation should be also leading uh, this uh, kind of approach to find uh, new discoveries, new feelings, and also belonging to the instrument in which you are playing. I mean, that... Uh, Oh, with Epsicord, some details are different, but essentially the diction, the phrasing, and uh, the philosophy is the same. So you just have to, to think about how the sound works and how with orchestra was working also this kind of performing to find a good way to play and to give to the public some new ideas. Then after continuing both experiences with Epsicord, I started to play uh, ancient piano and um, in the early beginning of my ancient piano player, I made a big work around the Chopin repertoire uh, according to the bicentennial of his birthday. And in 2010, I, I started recording for a very important uh, Spanish uh, uh, label, Cantus Records. I recorded the 24 etudes uh, by Chopin on an ancient playel 5265 of a private collection. This uh, playel was very interesting. I performed in the, this CD 
was uh, very appreciated also and was listened around 1,500,000 people listened to this Spotify recording. According to the fact that so this was an interpretation quite different, very natural, very essential, and also concerning to the fact that uh, ancient instruments have got dif- different uh, logics, different ways of approaching also technically, and so the pieces were completely different. This piano was very, very interesting, and uh, for this fact, I started to work with... Uh, this repertoire, and not only, I played also with other instruments, uh, some list works, and uh, also Beethoven with uh, ancient instruments, five octaves instruments, etc. And I am continuing now this uh, this work uh, according to my idea that uh, the instrument should give you every time a suggestion, and especially if you play ancient instruments. Every ancient instrument has got his uh, characteristic. I mean, you can find the two shunts, for example, uh, just one, two years uh, different in dating, but they sound completely different. So the characteristic, very important, is not that you have your technique, but you have to play as he wants you to play, like a horse. You have to play with instruments as if you have a horse with his character. And so you let the sound, the instrument playing as he wants. And this is the most difficult thing. So we don't have a real uh, special technique for every instrument, but every instrument has got his technique and also his philosophy. And this is a very, very difficult thing to understand also for pianists. Because when you arrive playing with a modern piano, you just have your ideas, you have your way of playing, your weight, your fingering, everything. But when you arrive on the ancient piano, also the fingering should change also between two different instruments. So you have to make another portrait of the music, working, finding his sensibility. And this is very difficult. You have to work like maybe a little bit like an organ player. The organ player arrives to instrument in a church. He finds the instrument, he works the program, and then he finds a good way to perform and there are also the fingering, registering, etc., registration of, of all the details and also... And then you find that this organ will play very well with this registration and not with another one. The ancient piano is the same thing. You can find the two players. I had the, the chance to play two players just one month different, and they were completely different. So what can we say? That uh, for me, the, the this approach is uh, very, very, very important because so the instrument will sound and will have your character also if you listen to it. And this is very difficult. That's why sometimes for the technical problems, to solve technical problems with ancient pianos, we have to practice a lot. You have to find in the minimum details, especially with Viennese action, because the Viennese action, especially in ancient instruments, is so sensitive that you can't 
just uh, work few few hours, but you have to stay there to work, to to suffer, because you don't find the proper sound. And this is uh, very difficult because they are so far away. So to find the sensitivity of this, you just have to to change uh, maybe twenty times your your skin, your your skin, and and work and uh, struggle to find something and to find a good emotion. Because otherwise, the ancient pianos they have a bad sound. So you find on YouTube maybe a lot of performances, maybe. Technically correct, but with very bad sound. And this, the problem of the sound is the first, the first step you have to start if you want to perform very well. Start on a few ideas, few details, and then work hard and deeply so that the, the instrument will find the proper sound, his sound, his fantasy. And so maybe you can you can make very nice portraits of the music. When I uh, played a fortepiano or even an harpsichord for the first time, I, I do feel a little bit like an elephant on, a, on an instrument that it's delicate. Maybe, maybe we should summarize what are the main technical differences between one of those instruments, which, as you said, they're all different, but there is probably a more common trait between all these historical keyboards and modern piano. First thing, you have to work a lot with uh, wrist elasticity. The wrist has to be really, really soft and adaptable to every problem. If the wrist is so fixed, you cannot have a good legato, you cannot have a good phrasing, and the piano doesn't play because there is a block between you and the keyboard, especially in Vienna's action, the hammers are so small and you can work on the speed on the action in so million of possibilities that if you don't play with a correct wrist and also shoulders relaxing, the piano doesn't sound. You lose notes, you make holes because you say, why I do I make holes? Yes, because in the modern piano, when you are in some of defaulting technically, he works for you. And with his mechanic very clear and with regulation, he works for you. And if you have some problems, he plays in any way. With the ancient piano, if you have some problems, you don't play. You stop playing and you don't have, it's not clear in repetition. Also, it doesn't work the action and... So a lot of problems. So you have to be especially relaxed in the shoulders, wrist, fingers has to be very clear and you have to work on the final part of the fingers. Except what is said uh, by a lot of uh, people who make didactics, didactics on the ancient piano, I guess for me that uh, the final part of the fingers has to be so sensitive and also articulation. When you, uh, Czerny and other theorists, uh, they, they speak about articulation. The articulation is meaning not really the work of fingers, but how you articulate phrasings and maybe the, also the semi-quavers, the quavers, etc., with fingering, how you articulate, how you, you put your fingering. And it's very important what uh, Liszt said uh, himself, 
concerning when he wants to learn a new piece. He says, I read the piece, and this is one thing, and then I study a lot the proper fingering to play it. And this problem of fingering was also uh, very important for Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, who says that fingering, there is only one fingering which works. And you have to find the good one for your hands, for uh, the phrase, for everything. And to be precise in fingering is so important because with fingering, different fingers, the small fingers, longer fingers, the thumb, you have different sounds. And so you have to clear, to clarify in your, in your mind how the fingers should play in the better way. Also, if you have a Mozart phrase, you can make uh, uh, just uh, two notes, for example, D, C, no? With uh, four or five fingers, two, one, three, two, four, three, five, four, five, three. And you have to find how this fingering enters in the context of the melody. Maybe sometimes you think, oh, this is very easy with two, one. But it doesn't sound well as it should be with 5-4, because maybe it's more delicate, and so you can make another approach, and you can have another musical feeling. And maybe in some instruments works with 2-1, and in some others work with 4-5. Also, if they are the same period, because they have other sounds, other hammers, other strings, and how to say. This is more uh, spontaneous. But you have to be so flexible to adapt yourself to the situation and to the instrument very well. You also collect those instruments and you are an avid uh, researcher, buyer and restorer. No, I mean, you don't restore them yourself, but you rely on other people, other technicians to restore it for you. But I wonder how um, difficult and intricate it is to navigate this, this world of ancient instruments finding them, buying them, judging the potential of an instrument that it's probably not in the best shape when you buy it and then take it to a, to a technician to restore it and how much capital is needed to restore one of those instruments. I started in 2010 with uh, my first instrument was the instrument we liked very much. It was the Broadwood 1845-16504. I mean, this instrument, for example, was played by Chopin himself, in the house of General Yablonsky in London in November 1845. It's a very important Broadwood Grand, 2 meters 45, and uh, it's very interesting because, for example, this instrument has got a dark sound, and especially for the, la the late Chopin works. In my opinion, for example, for the cello sonata, was so beautiful and so fantastic to perform with cello because the sound was so perfect and so mixed together. And this was, was for me a very, very special discovering of this instrument. And then I started to, to buy some other instruments and uh, I bought in Paris uh, a very interesting player, 1842 which was restored by my restorer, Daniele Fontana. This very interesting thing is that according to the leather, which was the rabbit leather for the hammers, so very soft, according to some schools in Paris, 
especially for Olivier Fadidi, who thinks that many players were uh, worked with yammers with uh, rabbit uh, leather. So to have a very soft sound, very special, very dreaming sound, not so strong because the power was not so important for Chopin music because he was thinking that this kind of music was intimate, was uh, a poetry. So the power of the, the energy of the sound and the, the decibel, you know, were not so important for Chopin himself. So he was playing according to another spirit. And that's why for me, also with Chopin, it's very, very important to have a work in this way. And the player instrument gives you some information very, very important to find a good philosophical and sound approach. Then I bought a Boisselot. The Boisselot is very interesting because it was the favorite piano performed by uh, Franz Liszt when he was traveling around the world. And he had a very important Boisselot. Uh, Boisselot was a small uh, factory in Marseille and uh, it, has, it had a very big development in uh, the 19th century. Then at the end of the 19th century, uh, they transferred to Barcelona and then uh, the factory closed. So we don't have a lot of information concerning also the, date, the datation of instruments, but we have uh, a certain idea that some instruments was, were around early uh, 40s and early 50s and then going on, and also this, these instruments were quite uh, popular also in Italy, uh, especially Sicily, Rome, because Franz Liszt was going to Rome and Villa d'Este, and some instruments were bought by famous, uh, maybe uh, very rich people in Rome. And so also in Santa Cecilia, this very important Boisselot, uh, restored recently, which is a term which gives us uh, information concerning the fact that the Boisselot was quite uh, important for uh, Chopin, sorry, for Liszt and Liszt uh, pupils. Then I have uh, uh, now is going to be restored an Erard 1842, very, very nice. And then I have uh, uh, in my collection also an anonymous 1810, and uh, I have some other uh, instruments to to finish and uh, according to finance, financial uh, possibilities and also performing possibilities, I would like to, to set up in this castle, medieval castle in Saliceto, in the region of Cuneo, to make a small museum, uh, interactive. I mean, you can see the instruments, you can perform, you can make masterclasses, you can record, uh, and so this castle I hope it will be in the, the next years something interesting for the students and for the performing arts. What are your your future plans now? I, I also know that you are in, pro, in the process of recording the Beethoven sonatas on a Johann Schanz piano that is owned by some collector in Sicily, in Palermo. Do you want to talk about that process too, of recording the Beethoven sonatas? Yes. For the early sonatas, I decided to record the first sonatas. I mean, the three Opus 2, the Opus 7, the three Opus 10, Opus 13. 
on uh, Johann Schanz number one, which is uh, uh, which is owned by Giuseppe Accardi, which is uh, Accardi Bambusser collection. And this is a very important instrument uh, uh, dated 1795-96. Very, very beautiful. Now we'll continue with Opus uh, 22, 14, and so on. I will continue in the Academia Cristofori collection, uh, according with Maestro Fiuzzi, which is uh, the owner of this very important collection in Florence. And uh, he has got another chance, a little bit more recent, around the 1798-99. And I will record other sonatas arriving just to Opus 28. Then I have to start a project with another company, Da Vinci, uh, with uh, the early Schumann works with the Juan Schantz, number 12 of this series, which is in the Saliceto Castle. Ion Schanz uh, dated approximately between 1822 and 1824. And uh, so on with Beethoven Sonatas, I will continue my recording experience and I hope to finish with uh, other two instruments uh, arriving to the last one with the Schanz in Saliceto, which is really very interesting instrument. This is Dress Rehearsal on KBFG Seattle, and I'm your host, Lorenzo Marasso. My guest today is pianist, forte pianist, and harpsichordist Gianmaria Bonino. And we're now going to listen to the recording of Beethoven's Sonata in A major, opus 2, number 2, recorded by our guest Gianmaria Bonino on a 1795 Johann Schanz forte piano. Thank you. 
This is Dress Rehearsal on KBFG Seattle, and I'm your host, Lorenzo Morasso. My guest today is pianist, forte pianist, and harpsichordist Gian Maria Bonino. And we have just listened to the recording of Beethoven's Sonata in A major, Opus 2, number 2, recorded by our guest Gian Maria Bonino on a 1795 Johann Schanz forte piano. I want to thank you very much for the time that you have taken for this interview and uh, I hope my listeners have enjoyed listening to your giving an idea about what it means to play an historical instrument, an historical keyboard, and also enjoyed listening to the uh, recordings that we have featured in this uh, podcast. And uh, I look forward to talk to you again, but for now I want to thank you very much for your time and for your participation. Thank you very much. I hope you have enjoyed listening to this interview with pianist, forte pianist and harpsichordist Gian Maria Bonino and enjoyed learning more about historical keyboard instruments. For now I leave you with one more track, the Etude in E major number no. 3 opus 10 by Frederic Chopin and performed by our guest Gian Maria Bonino. And with this I look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Dress Rehearsal here on KBFG Seattle.
You are listening to KBFGLP 107.3 FM in Seattle. You're listening to KBFG 107.3 FM, and this is Lorenzo Morasso. Dress Rehearsal is a weekly classical music show that brings you exciting live interviews with classical composers and performers. Join me every Friday morning at 8 a.m. and every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. here on KBFG Seattle. (laughs) 